The following sermon is from Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York City at the corner of Fifth Avenue and 55th Street in the heart of Manhattan. We welcome you to worship with our vibrant community of faith. Head to FAPC.org and join our email list and be sure to subscribe to FAPC in New York City, our YouTube channel. And now we invite you to breathe deep and lean into the beauty of worship with Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. Let us listen together for God's word. Today, it echoes to us from two different passages in the New Testament. First, from Paul's letter to the Galatians, chapter three, beginning with the 27th verse. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ, there is no longer Jew or Greek, there is no longer slave or free, there is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And a second reading from Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 2, beginning with the 23rd verse. Have nothing to do with stupid and senseless controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth, and that they may escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. This past week, following the announcement of a verdict in the trial of Officer Derek Chauvin after he was convicted by a jury of his peers for the murder of George Floyd. It felt like our country took a collective breath and calmed down a little for all of about five minutes. Quickly, politicians and pundits swept in and began to offer their perspectives on, on every angle of the question. What comes next? Even as these editorials appeared, more news stories broke involving race and violence. I felt torn. I wanted a bit of calm, some space to reflect, some time to work on local solutions and, and next steps before being compelled to watch another terrible video and called to try and put words to more heartache. Now, some will criticize my desire for a bit of respite. It's the cry of the privileged, the urgency of this moment, the, the importance of this cause, the, the life and death issues at play here means we cannot let up. And I hear this. I agree with it almost entirely. Although I also worry that a constant state of urgency could, uh, ironically and painfully, exert a corrosive force on the arc of justice. I, I worry that aspects of our current path lead not toward victory, 
not to crossing some righteous threshold someday soon, but to rancor and exhaustion. I was in a small group conversation up at Yale Divinity School a few years ago. The topic was race. And at the end of a challenging hammer and tongs conversation, the African-American woman sitting on my left turned to me, smiled, and said, you white people exhaust me. Let's go get a glass of wine. We did. I appreciated her candor and her invitation to engage in a different sort of conversation. We talked about family, we described our career paths, we gossiped about New York churches. We began to see each other not simply as the defender of a position or the representative of an ethnicity, but as the complicated children of God that we are. As Shrek says, Ogres are like onions. They have layers. I say all this because I think there's a question lurking inside many of our hearts right now that goes something like this. How much hard conversation is needed, is, is enough, is, is righteous? It's a tricky question. In one of today's scripture passages from Paul's second letter to Timothy, the apostle counsels people to avoid, and I quote, stupid and senseless controversies. And this seems, of course, like sound advice. The challenge, of course, is deciding which controversies are stupid and senseless and which ones exert an ethical claim on your attention, your prayer life, your moral behavior, and of course, your social media posts. I've come to the conclusion that everyone has a somewhat different level of comfort and stamina when it comes to engaging hot button issues. And like everyone else, I tend to get frustrated, not simply when people disagree with me, but when people's engagement thermostat is set at a different temperature than my own. We all know people who never want to talk seriously about conflicted cultural matters, people who are adept at changing the subject to the weather or baseball or that ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal for a week. Everyone seemed to have an opinion about that ship, but no one, to my knowledge, got especially worked up about it. <laughs> On the other end of the spectrum, though, we all know people whose prophetic consciousness never turns off. They take every step, enter every conversation with an opinionated urgency. How else should an aware person of faith live? If, if you're not angry, says the t-shirt, you're not paying attention. All this takes us back to Paul and to our question for the day. How do we know what issues ought to claim our passionate attention, our personal advocacy. Today, I want to try and address two aspects of this important question. First, what about this moment in time makes ethical conversation especially difficult? And second, 
how can we faithfully engage each other in this polarized culture on critical topics without lapsing into senseless and stupid argumentation or just plain exhaustion? Let's start with number one, our cultural context. Our current context presents, I think, a unique challenge to the church. Now, yes, Christian community has always been called to discuss complicated moral issues. So what's different about now? Simply put, social media. Now, I say this not simply to attack a much maligned straw figure. Social media is a mixed bag. It can be used for good and for evil, and we all know this by now. Still, it's worse it's worth observing that the growth and use of social media platforms as the primary gathering places and testing grounds and bullhorns for today's ethical conversations and, and moral movements presents the church with a fresh set of challenges. Case in point, hashtag Black Lives Matter. Hashtag BLM raises topics of moral concern that resonate with the church's core teachings about human dignity, the equality of people before the law, and the corrosive effects of violence. Still, many Christians are afraid to engage this movement in church, to study its arguments, and, and others contend that, that what this, this movement is about is, is peaceful protest focused on bringing about systemic change to policing. But others contend that BLM is a shadowy cover for endorsing communal mob riots. To a great degree, this argument, these two polls, are fueled by a politicized media. People walk into church or tune into online church with already formed and strongly held opinions about hashtag BLM. Depending on their preferred news sources, the faithful approach to this movement is either one, we should embrace and defend it, or two, we should criticize and dismiss it. This sort of tribal side-choosing is nothing new, but it's especially zealous right now. One of the reasons Christians disagree about Black Lives Matter has to do, I believe, with its decentralized nature. Grounded in real-life events, movements like hashtag BLM rise out of online moral laboratories in other words, anyone can post something to a social media platform and append the hashtag Black Lives Matter to it. There's no communications department out there vetting these posts, making sure they hew to the core values and stated goals of an organization. When it comes to standards for evidence, rules for respectful dialogue and editorial control, it's the Wild West out there. Every online conversation is a swirl of voices and opinions. Some of these are new voices, 
tentatively trying to find their way into a conversation. Some are docents, trying to teach others how to engage. Some are ethicists, seeking to define the terms and the rules of a new vocabulary. Some are trolls, deliberately trying to stir up vitriol. Some are virtue posters, eager to show off their ethics and, and boost their brand. And some are simply trying to tell their story and connect it to a wider story. As you all know, this, this online conversation, if you can even call it a conversation, plays out across multiple platforms in free-flowing, fast-paced, and sometimes quite cruel exchanges. The rough-and-tumble nature of hashtag debates provides grist for those who want to dismiss or ignore these conversations. If I mention Black Lives Matter from this pulpit, there will be those out there who will point me to some egregious or unsettling post that comes branded with that hashtag. Look at this terrible thing, Pastor. This is what this movement is all about. Are, are these its values? The open source nature of online moral movements means they can be difficult to define and easy to question. But this shouldn't scare the church off. A simple question, I think, can move us forward. Does the church need to accept everything that's being said or done when accompanied by any hashtag? Of course not. Our thinking needs to be less binary and less reactive. Approaching these issues with curious and nimble perspectives will, I believe, ease some of the tension in this equation. In this, understanding the unique dynamics of a hashtag movement can help a Christian who seeks to join today's moral debates. At their best, a hashtag takes something one person has experienced or, or witnessed and, and grafts it into a larger conversation, a, a shared pool of experience. I saw this on the, the sixth train the, this morning, hashtag Black Lives Matter. These online conversations evolve and, and shift almost like a school of fish flashing through the ocean. And as they move, these flashing fish probe the boundaries of the larger ethical conversations we're having, the edges of a particular hashtag. In a way, of course, the process of finding an ethical center for communities and, and for societies has always involved this sort of messy and contentious and uneven probing of the edges. Moral philosophers have explored the edges of ethical issues in this matter for millennia, and Christian communities have done the same for about the same amount of time. Churches are forever debating and clarifying moral issues. It's what we do. And, and this experience means, I think, that we, Christians, actually bring critical resources to the contemporary table. To quote Napoleon Dynamite, we've got skills. <laughs> Part number two, what does the church bring to the table? 
The often brutal nature of contemporary dialogue points to an area where I believe the church ought to play a critical role. Simply put, churches have a good deal of practice moderating conversations about controversial issues, often with an eye toward making a space for diverse voices to be heard and in a manner that models respect, care, and love for those with whom we disagree. While most contemporary American Christians have not participated in anything like the rigorous work done in South Africa by the Truth and Reconciliation Commission there, many Christian communities in this country have been informed by that work. And of course, many more Christians are shaped by the weekly liturgical practices of confession, pardon, and peace. These patterns of regular repentance, forgiveness, and regeneration are knit into the church's DNA. These ethical commitments can, should, and do change the tone of our dialogue. The core commitments of Christianity also encourage us to engage others, to expand the tent, to broaden the conversation. Every week, in facing our own brokenness and our own complicity in the world's moral failings, the faithful lean into a paradigm modeled by Jesus and his disciples. It goes like this. Difficult ethical conversations are more than a zero-sum game, a tooth-and-nail battle fought by enemy tribes. Difficult ethical conversations are a vital crucible in which understandings can dawn, opinions can be changed, souls can be saved, reconciliation forged, and surprising relationships grow. Can we do this without exhausting ourselves and without lapsing into stupid and senseless argumentation? I think it's possible. And one very concrete thing I think the church can do to inject a bit more hope into contemporary moral conversations is to provide an alternative to call out or cancel culture. Professor Loretta Ross teaches an incredibly popular class at Smith College that models a different approach to moral conversation. A veteran of decades of contentious ethical debates, Ross argues that we need to replace our call-out culture with a call-in culture. She points she points out that, that while calling somebody out, you know, sort of calling them on the table, shaming them publicly may make you feel momentarily superior, it ultimately leads to anger and alienation. We are caught, says Ross, in almost unbreakable cycles of anger. We doom scroll. We read post after post that fans our rage, and then out of fear, anxiety, and overflowing anger at those who do not get it, those who have determined 
those who we have determined are about to destroy all that we hold precious, we lash out. Ross argues that we sabotage our own happiness with unrestrained anger. And she regularly asks her students, why are you making choices to make the world crueler than it needs to be, and then calling that being woke? The alternative to calling people out, Ross argues, is calling them in, into conversation and into relationship. This, Ross says, is a call made out of love. Here, the good professor makes an appeal to the work of one of the most influential voices in the civil rights movement, Reverend C.T. Vivian. In the many marches, imprisonments, and beatings that Vivian endured while working as Martin Luther King's field general, he lived and modeled Christ's seemingly impossible command, love your enemies. This, says Ross, is the sort of commitment today's moral conversations desperately need. They need radical love. 2,000 years and counting, and the thing that the world desperately needs from the church and from people of faith hasn't changed. Not really. Uh, approaching this contentious time with a commitment to radical love is both faithful and critical. Injections of surprising love are our best chance at elevating conversations steeped in what the Apostle Paul called stupid and senseless controversy. In this, love is both what our risen Lord asks us to show to each other, and it is also our best chance at having moved the needle heart-to-heart -heart conversations that can actually build a society more in tune with the kingdom of God. Bless you, Easter people, as you bring God's love to this tired and contentious world. Have courage. Hold fast to what is good. Do not return evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Amen.